Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to the fifth episode in our six-part mini-series all about launching. In today's episode, we're going to talk about all things paperwork. I know, I know, <laughs> I've heard it a million times. Paperwork, schmaperwork, right? However necessary, most people don't find great pleasure in the task of filling out and filing paperwork, and I have a sneaking suspicion you're no exception. So let's do something a little different here. Let's change our paradigm from paperwork to framework because the reality is if we set everything up correctly from the start, I promise you'll save time, you'll save money, and the painful aggravation of undoing and redoing things down the road. So let's see if I can make things a little less painful for you today. The first thing I want to do is try and clear up some of the jargon and remove the shroud around issues like choosing a business entity, creating an operating budget, and understanding the difference between an income statement and a cash flow statement. No matter how tedious these things may seem, it's imperative that you understand them. Otherwise, your great idea is just that, a great idea. And without giving it the foundation and framework it needs, you won't see it grow into the venture it was intended to become. Okay, let's start with business entities. My first recommendation here is that you get professional help. But here are some things you can do in advance of hiring an attorney or even going on LegalZoom. The first thing you want to do is identify the type of business or nonprofit you plan to run. Are you a sole proprietor, meaning you're the only owner? Or do you have a partner that owns some portion of the company? Even if it's not 50-50, you'll need to set up a partnership. There are also entities that provide some of the protections of a corporation, like LLCs, which stand for limited liability companies or partnerships. And there are full-blown corporations that usually fall under two groups, an S-corp or a C-corp. And the one you pick depends on the stage and size of your business, the amount of shareholders you have, and the state you're operating your business from. I recommend you head to your state's Franchise Tax Board website and LegalZoom to identify what you need and the costs associated. If you have a more sophisticated setup like multiple business owners or stakeholders, here's where I would highly recommend an attorney. And in the case of any partnerships, regardless of chosen entity, you absolutely must create a partnership agreement outlining your professional relationship, and the percent of ownership each person has in the company. You will also want to include some sort of exit plan in the event that one person might wanna leave the company earlier than the other person. Once you choose your entity, you'll know if you need to use your social security number or if you need to acquire an EIN, also known as an employer identification number. Now, if you have employees, you will need to have an EIN. An EIN is just like a social security number, but for your business instead of you. You'll need this number to open a bank account and to file your taxes. 
And speaking of opening your business bank account, I urge you to do this as soon as possible. Too many startups use their personal checking account, which makes transparent and readable financials nearly impossible. It's imperative that you are always able to clearly see how the business is doing financially. When opening that account, you should first register for a DBA or doing business as until you have your legal business entity and name. This will suffice. This will also allow you to open the account in that name, have checks printed in that name, and even maybe business cards in that name. It'll give your venture the credibility it deserves. Another way you can use a DBA down the road is let's say your corporation's name is something like Jones LLC, but you want the company name, the customer facing name, to be Jones Pizzeria. A DBA will allow you to do that. You will also want to know if your venture requires permits, licenses, or any special designations. For example, if you're planning to operate a not-for-profit organization, and remember, just because your venture may have a social impact, it doesn't mean you're automatically a nonprofit. But if in fact you are, then you have to apply for a 501c3 to get the proper tax exemption you need for your charity or foundation. You will also need to make sure your company is registered with the state. It's not just about making sure the URL is available or the social media handle is available. You'll actually want to register your company name so that no one else can use that name. Now, maybe you're thinking about opening a spa or a restaurant. You'll need a permit for the area that you provide that service and a license to provide it. Or maybe you're opening a retail operation and you need to buy from wholesalers. You'll need a resellers or resale license for that. Your state franchise website, your city's SBA, Small Business Administration Office, your Chamber of Commerce, and the SCORE offices near you are all great resources for you to learn more about where to go to obtain what you need to start and operate your venture. Now, another thing I want you to consider is insurance. Do you need to cover employees or customers that maybe could slip and fall in your workspace? Are you doing events that require temporary insurance for a conference or a pop-up? Are you running an operation that could be subject to malpractice? This is another opportunity to ask an expert, preferably a business insurance expert that you trust. The last thing I want to mention in this section is tax prep. Make sure you are clear on the relationship with freelancers or part-time contract workers. You will need to report the money you paid them so you can file your taxes and they can file theirs. A conversation with an accountant in advance of hiring is always a good idea. Then you'll know how to hire and pay for help based on best practices for your business's needs. For example, sometimes you'll find that hiring an employee makes more sense than a contracted hire. Okay, now let's move on to the money side of things. Your enterprising spirit has led you to this stage of the game and you spent lots of energy getting here. So let's figure out how to make and track your money. It's a matter of time before a lot of people, wholesalers, leasers, employees, to name a few, will want a piece of that pie. And don't forget Uncle Sam. 
Knowing what belongs to him and what's yours to keep is your responsibility. So don't rely solely on your accountant or bookkeeper because your business is actually your business. Now, I've found that once you understand a few basic financial terms and practices, it's not only beneficial, it's actually kind of fun to chart your growth. Knowing how to read these statements is a valuable tool because it casts light on where your business is losing revenue and where operational cutbacks might be needed. Understanding these reports is essential to understanding the state of your venture. What could be more thrilling than monitoring your financial progress or knowing exactly what needs to be done to stop the bleeding or realize profits? We've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss, but trust me, in this case, ignorance is not bliss. When it comes to your finances, shrugging your shoulders and saying, I don't like numbers, just postpones your financial demise or your financial success. You'll also need to understand how to create and read budgets and financial statements that give you a snapshot of the state of your business. A sales report at the end of the week will not let you know if you've made money. It just lets you know how much you've collected that week. I can't tell you how many times a founder has told me they are selling tons of product, but have nothing to show for it, and they're not sure why. Remember, revenue is not profit. Conversely, I've seen people sell fewer items, but thrive because they understand their numbers and they can clearly see how to keep their costs low and create meaningful margins. Okay, I've given you enough of a reality check. Let's try and tackle a few of the things we've talked about. All right, first of all, cash is your best friend. You'll need it for growth in good times and you'll need it to keep afloat in bad times. You'll never want to be caught without it. So before you start spending, you'll need to put together a plan that budgets what you need to spend to start the business and what you need to spend to run the business. These two budgets are called a startup budget and an operating budget. The startup budget is everything you need to get your company off the ground. The operating budget is the monthly cost of running the company. When creating a startup budget, you'll be looking at one-time costs. For example, the one-time percentage you pay a realtor when they found your ideal location, or the cost of hiring a graphic designer to come up with your logo, your website design, and your brand palette, maybe even your business card stationery or the one-time cost of signage outside your store, or your legal business setup fees. Then there are your operating costs, like the monthly rent, reprinting business cards, or updating your website with new product, or keeping that electric sign lit by paying your monthly utility bill, and of course, any ongoing legal or accounting fees. These are just a few items. Here's a quick list of items to consider when creating a startup budget one-time accounting and legal setup, furniture, cash register, computers, your beginning inventory, any renovations for a physical space, maybe an architect, an engineer, or an interior designer is needed, one-time building permits, fixtures, special equipment you'll need for a kitchen, a yoga studio, a salon, a spa, you get the picture. Now conversely, your operating budget includes expenses that repeat monthly or annually, a few things you might want to include in your operating budget might be your advertising and marketing costs, bank service charges, your credit card fees, delivery charges, subscription fees, insurance, 
web hosting, lease payments. Maybe you've decided not to purchase equipment. You can lease equipment like a cash register or telephones. Include loan payments if you've borrowed money and office supplies. Of course, there's payroll and payroll taxes. And you want to budget for repairs and maintenance because let's face it, things always break. And depending on your business, you'll want to include sales tax. Then there's cleaning supplies, a cleaning service. These are just a few of the items you will want to include in your operating budget. Now, while these lists are not exhaustive, they give you a good idea of where to start. And a quick word of caution here, really take the time needed to accurately identify your costs. It may lead you to consider raising money from friends and family or taking out a loan or even looking to angel investors. And when considering outside money, you'll want to create a budget that outlines what the money will be used for and how long it will take to pay it back. If you're pursuing a bank loan or any institutional lender or investor, they will likely have defined terms. But when you're going after friends and family or even smaller angel investors, they'll want to see a plan for what the money will be used for and how long you'll want to hang on to it before they see a return on their investment plus, of course, interest. Here's a quick example of what I'm talking about. Let's say you're going to open a coffee shop with home delivery. You know you're going to need a delivery van, and let's say that's $20,000. You're going to need kitchen equipment, that's $10,000. Additional startup costs are $5,000. You know your operating expenses are $8,000. Remodeling the shop is $12,000 and then hiring an architect and an engineer to help lay out the physical space is an additional $5,000. That brings your total to $60,000. Now you wanna outline the various sources that will contribute to that $60,000. So let's say your personal savings accounts for $10,000 and maybe you've got a line of credit for an additional $20,000. That totals $30,000. So now you're looking to raise an additional $30,000 from private investors. You'll wanna calculate how much money you plan to make each month in your business. Let's say you've landed on 100 cups of coffee a day at $6 per cup. That's $600 a day for an average of 30 days, which comes to $18,000 a month. Then you take the operating expenses out of that, which leaves you $10,000 because you need those operating dollars month after month. Now look at how long it will take you to pay back your line of credit, your investors, and even your personal loan. This is a very, very simplified look at how to get both the amount you need and the timeline to pay it back, but I think it's a super helpful tool. Again, keep in mind you are also paying interest and bank fees, so you'll need to build in those percentages. Now let's move on to cash flow. You've likely heard the term tossed around, especially among entrepreneurs. The reason is because it determines a company's financial mobility. Think of it this way. If someone is house rich, they own a big old mansion, but they have no cash to furnish it, they're cash poor. And the same applies to a business. Although the house rich person may have equity, it takes cash to decorate that house, not equity. Cash is more important to a company's growth. It determines what the company can afford to do on a day-to-day basis. Remember, cash flow is determined simply by taking cash receipts and subtracting them from cash payments over a given period of time. 
Here's a quick example of how important cash flow is. Let's take two companies that have experienced record growth. The latter company did not keep up with collecting its accounts receivable, that's the money owed to them, and while they had money in the pipeline, they had no cold hard cash to run the business. The first company had the cash to pay its bills on time, they didn't accrue any interest or late fees, and therefore reduced their accounts payable or money owed. It's not rocket science, but companies actually fail because of bad cash management. When creating a cash flow statement or cash flow budget, there are four basic elements you need to include. One, your starting cash. What have you got at the beginning of each month? Two, cash in. What is all the cash you've received during that month? Three, cash out. What are all of your expenses? And four, your ending cash, which is what you've got when all is said and done. Okay, hang in there. I know it's a lot. There are two more financials I want to talk about, a balance sheet and a P&L or income statement. This will be quick, I promise. A balance sheet is a document that gives you a summary of your assets, your liabilities, and your net worth at any given point in time. The reason it's called a balance sheet is because it literally balances what your business is worth, what it owes, and what it owns. There's actually a formula here. It's assets minus liabilities equals equity. And you can use the word equity or net worth in the same way here. For example, let's say that you purchased an industrial sewing machine for your business for $1,500. You borrowed $1,000 from the bank to purchase it and you used 500 of your own money. Your assets are worth $1,500. Your liabilities, what you owe, is worth $1,000 because you have to pay the bank back. And your equity is $500. Pretty simple, right? I know it's a lot, but it's critical for you to understand how this all works together to grow and sustain your business. Okay, the last thing I want to cover is the P&L or profit and loss statement, also known as an income statement. This document measures your company's sales and expenses during a particular span of time. The purpose of the P&L statement is to total all your sources of revenue, subtract all expenses related to that revenue, and see if your company made or lost money during that period of time. Pretty reasonable. The total is referred to as your net profit, FYI. This statement will also enable you to complete your tax forms when you're finally off and running with your venture. We did it, ladies. We got through all the things. You've got a foundation and a framework to understand how your brilliant ideal will make money. And for all you nonprofits out there listening, remember making money is what fuels your operation and the good work you're doing in the world. So don't miss this step. So there it is you're better equipped to more accurately see if the venture that you've been building is ready for prime time. Thanks again for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found this episode to be helpful and stay tuned for next week. Until then, bye.
Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flowers.